Hello, everyone, and welcome to War of the Stars, a Star Wars podcast. Come to you, as always, from deep within the Outer Rim, far beyond the watchful eyes of the Galactic Empire. And joining me today, as always, are my two co-hosts, Mr. Ray Rumsey and Mr. Joe Cahill. Guys, how are you today? Quite well. well. Yeah, yeah. Doing good. Thanks. And also joining us is a very special guest, star of Screen and Stage. I've always wanted to say that. Uh, please welcome Mr. Richard Stride. Richard, how are you today, sir? I'm very well, thank you. Yes, here in sunny old England. <laughs> it's the hottest day of the year here, so we're a little bit, whoo. You what, know. about 83, 84? Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we don't do that. Uh, we do it in, uh, it's, um, I think it's 30, 38 Celsius, something like that. Yeah, you're well, talking to Americans. Into... We'll have to do math to figure that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's too complicated, isn't it? Um, I know. So, uh, yeah, it, basically, it's hot. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty. Wow. Well, it's hot for that's, us. That's like 100 know. for us. Yeah, it's pretty. I suppose it's pretty close to that. Yeah. Yeah. But never, never, ever, when I lived there, did it get that close? <laughs> no, it has got to. Uh, I think last year it got to. Th- 39 which was the hottest day in recorded history in the uk wow we're heating up yeah. we're heating up guys uh, uh, are the roads handling it or are they melting again <laughs> actually i'll tell you a funny story there was um, a place in london um and uh, there's a, a new building that they built a few years ago and uh it sort of had mirrored glass on it um going down one side but it was concaved so it was in a circle and the sun hit it on the hottest day and it created a beam of light that shot down to a, um, I think it was a Ferrari and melted the car. Literally oh. melted it. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. How cool wow. is that? You know, that's like- I, I would love to have seen that. I can't believe that's, that's like not on YouTube. That's the version of the Death Star. Brilliant. Love it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, let me just start out with the first question for you. Um, When did you first know that you wanted to be an actor? Like, what was the first memory you had of of knowing that this is what I want to do for a career? Well, my mother always says from birth, because apparently when I came out, I looked towards the light, you know, found my (laughs) light straight away. That was it. Um, But uh, no, I think probably when I was about um, uh, 13, uh, all my friends were going off at, on a Thursday lunch hour to do a drama group, and I was sort of left by myself almost. So I thought I'd go along as well, um, and that's when it started. And I um, did my first little bit at school, and then a friend of mine said, "Oh, come to uh, watch me in a dress rehearsal of a show at the local big theatre." And uh, I went along, and uh, someone didn't turn up, and uh, the director sort of looked towards the audience, well, say the audience, looked towards the auditorium, which I happened to be sat watching and said, well, can anyone else act? And I put my hand up and went, yeah, I'll give it a go. And ended up with um, quite a large role and uh, one day to learn the lines and I was on stage the next night. So um, yeah, it was pretty much three in the deep end (laughs) and uh, to say the least. And yeah, that was my first experience really of doing anything in front of a live audience mm-hmm. and then after that went on to drama school and uh, the rest is history mm-hmm. cool 
Cool. I know Joe uh, Ray, you had some questions you wanted to ask too. So, yeah, I mean, I've got a, a slew of questions, but the, yeah, the Ray story... Ray is our um, our resident interviewer. He has another podcast that he interviews people. So, oh, with cool. a show like this, we're going to I'm going to probably defer more to Ray because Ray has the experience. This is my first time. <laughs> interviewing anybody like this so <laughs> that's right I do, have a few, I do have a few questions that i'm wanting to kind of get into mine are more in the overall acting um hmm. theater because um i've delved a little bit into theater acting before um so just kind of get you know pick your mind as far as being an actor uh one of the questions i wanted to ask you really quick is what is the best piece of advice you could give to somebody who's getting into theater, getting into acting for the first time? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I heard something about, I think it was about four years ago, there was a, a big experiment um, uh, about talent, actually. And um, they, uh, these scientists, what have you, were trying to determine what makes someone talented at a particular thing was it genetics was it you know how was it could be taught etc and they discovered that there was no such thing as talent it does not exist so when people say oh they're very talented it, it doesn't actually exist um you're not given at birth some sort of thing from god or whatever that you are going to be an artist a, a singer a musician an actor a scientist or um a nuclear physicist, whatever it's going to be, you're not you're not sort of destined to do that kind of thing. What they discovered is uh, that it's all about how hard you work. So the more mm. practice you have, the better you become. Yeah. And some people were like, "Oh God, that's terrible!" You know, there's no such thing as talent. And actually, I think that's brilliant because that means mm. any single one of us can become you know one of the world's best actors we can become an astronaut we can we can literally become whatever we want to do it's all about how many hours you are prepared to put into it yeah um and i used to teach a young man who came to uh used to run drama school and he came along and he he had no acting experience at all but he was brilliant and people said well that course that shows he's got talent and i asked him and i said well what's your home life like and he said um oh yeah, uh, it's a really big family. Um, yeah, we quite often sort of tell stories, um, play games, stuff like that. Um, and what I'd learned was that he was um, in a family that was doing a lot of communication. They weren't necessarily watching tons of television or playing video games, etc. What they were doing is they were communicating a lot and he was play acting um, and telling stories. And, and, and so he got a lot of his training just from home just from his yeah. home environment and the way he was brought up. And that's what made him in um, parenthesis um, talented, I suppose, um, because he'd already learned the basics before he even had any formal training. So yeah, um, yeah I think it's, uh, that's probably the best thing. If you, if you want it and you want to be, to do well, then it's, it's all about well, how much work are you prepared to put in? How much are you yeah. going to, to do to do that and um yeah. the more you put in the better you become it's as simple as that so that's good one thing that i have learned is just because you don't get a certain role is not necessarily a indication that you are 
bad at that role. Like for instance, one of the first plays I ever did, like outside of school was I did a play called I Hate Hamlet. And I got the lead. I got the, I got, uh, the main protagonist. And afterward, everyone's coming up to me and telling, you did an amazing job. I can't believe this is your first time on stage. You did really good. So my head got kind of inflated as a few years later, I went to do a, a, a audition for another role and I didn't get it. I didn't get any role. A couple of years, about a year later, I did for another role. And this time I got just a small little bit role. And I talked to the director there and he said, it has nothing to do with how good you are. It has to do with whether or not the director thinks you are a good fit for a role. If the director doesn't think yeah. you're a good fit for the role, you're not going to get the role. Doesn't mean you're bad, you were bad or you're horrible. It just means, he even said, you could audition for the same role in the same play that you got the lead. If it just happens to be a different director, that director could think, I think you're different for, the, for better for this role. So yeah. that kind of made me think you have to, what's that? I say it's fitting together as well. So, you know, you yeah. might have, for instance, a different, um, if you're play, if you're in Hamlet, you know, and you're playing the part of Hamlet and then you go for that same play again, but with a different director, well, they might have a different Gertrude to a, or a yeah. feeling that, that you have to act opposite. And, um, you know, if, if it, for whatever reason, you know, you don't quite fit the same kind of ethos or way it's going to work, then, you know, that's the that's the way it is so no you can't win every audition i mean when i funny enough when i went to the star wars audition i was uh cast and um as only and th this is all i was down to play was obi-wan kenobi's double that's it that's all i was supposed to do um and <laughs> by the time i finished i think i practically played every part that there was under the sun um but I think the difference was that I was always there on set. I was, I never went back to what we call the green room, which is where you go and rest because there was far more interesting things happening on set. And anytime someone turned around and said, oh, can you just do this for us? I went, oh, yeah, no worries. Um, and um, I ended up, you know, playing Poggle the Lesser. I was clone troopers. I was, uh, I was so many clone troopers, it was unreal. Um, uh, you know, I'd, I, in scenes I'd find that I was, I was flying the spaceship. I was falling out of the spaceship. I was in the back of the spaceship. I was, you know, um, flying the rockets of the spaceship. I was every clone trooper that there was pretty much going. Um, and then, you know, I was playing everything from droids to reading in uh, for every character you could possibly think of. Um, to help the other actors and you know I got all this extra stuff to do uh, because I think I was just constantly keen to learn and just wanting to uh, find out more how did you do this how did you do that and that's what I found fascinating and I think if you can do that you open yourself up to you know huge potential of all sorts of various things you know that you can end up doing and playing so, yep. I, I will freely admit that uh, when we see somebody on set that is going to work and is available, yeah, I'll check them out and say, can you do this? Can you do that? And, mm -hmm. and put them in different roles. So it's a good thing. And there's a, there's a, that's really good advice for you, John. Yeah. Yeah. It's about being first, uh, first people, people want to employ people they like. Um, 
and they get along with um there's nothing worse if you're you know without being funny if you are george lucas and you've got I don't know, 120 million pounds riding on a movie and you know every second literally every second is costing you somewhere in the region of five thousand pounds um and you have hundreds of people the last thing you want is some little actor going oh no i don't think i could possibly do that oh no i, I think that's beyond what I, I i haven't actually been you know cast for that or um that's the last thing they want and they you know and the last thing they want is someone to cause trouble or uh, to be difficult or you know to start being bigger it's all about team effort so if you play that game and be part of the team and remember that your film your play your production whatever it is it's only as ever good as your weakest link well i so think that advice is, link. <laughs> i think that Sorry? that advice is even good for even just every day even like oh, you know, i don't know how many times at my job i hear someone say someone will ask somebody to do something at my job and they'll hear them say well that's not my job that's not what i was hired to do yeah or <laughs> You yeah. know, so it's like, like, yeah, you know, I may not, I work at a, uh, uh, a grocery, a large grocery store chain here in America, uh, named Mark of the Wall. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, I don't know how many times, even though I work in like the garden section, I'm called to be like, oh, could you go uh, help cashier for a little while? Could you go back here for a little while? And I could easily say, well, that's not my job. Well, yeah. I'm, I work in lawn and garden, but it also helps because since I know how to do everything, that means they know they can rely on me if they need me to help in other areas. They're like, oh, John knows how to do this. We can take him, you know, we can put him over here. So yeah, that's a good advice for any job, you know. If it's you also want... less likely they'll get rid of you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, you know, that is, it's as simple as that. I mean, there was one guy that, I remember on Star Wars, there was one day, one guy and, um, it was very, it was actually very warm outside and it was in the middle of summer and in a hot studio and everything else. And, and we were sat around for a long time, but you know, there's loads of interesting stuff that's going on. Um, or if you're bored, take a book, you know, just read a book if need be or what have you. Um, and uh, this particular actor was moaning and moaning and moaning. And um, it was very interesting because he kept moaning to us. And uh, I remember turning around and going, <laughs> Look, I'm not being funny, mate, but just shut up because I tell you what, there's about 10,000 people out there that would like your job and in fact will pay George Lucas to do this job. You're getting paid to do this job. So, you know, really just zip it, to be honest. I never saw him again. <laughs> just, I don't know what ever happened to this guy, but he never came back ne next day. I just don't know what ever happened to him, but he never returned. So, Richard... So. How, how do you prep for casting calls or auditions? Um, I think the best thing that, that I tend to do is I go, I first of all say, this is not an audition. Um, this is a, I convince myself it's a workshop where I get to meet somebody I, and usually is particularly I want to work with anyway. Um, and and that it's an opportunity for me to learn something new to discover something um, about that particular person or the way he or she works. Um, and really just have loads of fun in creating and 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 then when the audition has happened, I forget about it. 
because there's nothing worse than sitting by the phone or the computer waiting for that call to say yes you've got it or no you haven't um so um i th that's probably the best thing that i tend to do there's there's lots of other things i, I will do lots of vocal warm-ups things like that just so that um my i suppose my instrument if you like is in best tune as possible i do lots of research so i'll find out as much as i can about the project sometimes that's not always possible um i will look up the director i will look up the casting director what have they cast in the past i might even watch a couple of things that they've done um in the past as well uh, if there's time because sometimes you get an audition and it's literally you're, you're supposed to be there in an hour so it depends on how much time you have you know to prep for it but um, um, I've even gone for an audition and I had enough time to go and actually watch the production I was auditioning for so I booked tickets for it it was a show in the West End and went to see the production the night before just to see what other people have done um, and if it's a role that is like a, a play, like a Shakespeare or a Chekhov or uh, even a modern play, but it's been done before, read the play. Uh, again, find out as much about the history of the play. When is it set? Um, you know, what influences may have been there, things like that. So um, again, just put as much practice as you can. You can never, you can never really be under rehearsed, I suppose. And, um, over rehearse, sorry, is what I meant to say. And um, yeah, it's just finding out as much as you can and then um, having fun with it. And the more you know, the more you can add to the experience and and uh, talk about, you know, the the production that you're in. Nice. Yeah, good. All right, uh, Ray, what do you got? Well, you just kind of said uh, nothing's worse than sitting around waiting for the phone call. So what was it? Like what went through your head? What was it like when you got that call or that email or mail in the letter saying, Hey, congratulations, you're in a star Wars movie. Okay. Uh, well, the, it, the whole audition was quite unusual because I was, uh, <laughs> I, I didn't actually get a call and I didn't get an email and didn't get a letter or anything. Um, because they told me there and then in the casting room. Um, oh. and, uh, that's, very unusual. You very rarely expect that. Um, in fact, I remember being quite stunned and going, oh, uh, not quite really what, what to say. Um, but I mean, the whole experience of Star Wars was a, 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 a quite a weird. I found out about the audition literally one hour before I had the audition. So there was no time to prep whatsoever. I was literally driving through London I got the call from the agent and I had to turn the car around head in the opposite direction and, and it literally took me an hour to get to um Elstree Studios which is where the audition was taking place and um I remember going in and said oh I've got an audition for Star Wars I'm meeting uh, Rick McCullum and um uh, I remember parking the car and I remember seen this chap and saying oh hi I don't know I said I've got this audition for Star Wars I said I don't know where I'm going and he said well I know where you're going he said follow me so I went oh okay so I followed him and he, we went into this after a little walk and what have you and we were chatting and that 
and we went into this building and uh, up some stairs and went into this room and I walked in and there was George Lucas who I did not expect to meet I thought would be a casting director um, walked in and he went hello and I, went, I remember going oh okay hello because <laughs> oh right um right okay wasn't expecting that and the person who'd walked me to the audition was Rick McCullum who was the producer so um, I already had a chat with him beforehand and had no idea who he was um, and I did a quick reading we had a quick chat and literally they said there and then okay you're going to be starting on um, in a week's time and uh, you're going to be your McGregor's double um, for the film and uh, this is what you're going to do we've seen that you do sword fighting and what have you um, and they already had pre-spoken to people uh, about my work and that and um, and that was that so it was really fast really fast wow. I came out and was uh, I remember I rang my mother and told her that uh, um, I was in Star Wars and uh, later I got a call from my agent saying oh you've got into Star Wars I go yeah I know they told me there and then. And then they said, um, uh, one of the conditions is that you don't tell anyone that you're in it um, because obviously they don't want anyone to know um, that you're doing it and what you're doing. And I, I turned around and went, oh, shit. I'm, sorry, I didn't swear. Um, oh, bugger. Um, I've um, just told my mother, which is like uh, telling Radio um, England, basically. She would have told everybody about <laughs> So, you know, there's no stopping her. And, um, yeah, so I very quickly had to ring in my mother and go, how many people have you told? And she said, oh, oh, I've told the ladies at the club. I've told the neighbour next door. I've, I've rung all the family. Oh, my God. So, you know, saying, just don't say any more. <laughs> um, whatever you do, I could be in a lot of trouble. But, yeah, it was fine. Nice. So. Uh -huh. Well, I, I read that you spent a little bit of time in the uh, motion capture suit. How was that when interacting with other actors? Yeah, it was good. Um, I had basically like a, a green or a blue suit on. Um, and then they had like um, little tiny balls, uh, which they used to track, basically. Um, but remember, this is early 2000s, so it wasn't quite at that point like the lord of the rings where you had the camera on the front of the face and it was mapping your face and what have you um mm. so i spent a long time in uh, i spent a long time in blue blue and green screen um which is a fascinating way to to work because you have absolutely nothing and i mean nothing to react to acting is all about reacting and so what you have to do is use your imagination completely and imagine not only do you have to imagine the scene or where you are because you're in a big blue box and uh, basically you're supposed to be on another planet somewhere or in a spaceship or what have you and uh, you have to imagine the environment is it hot is it cold is it windy is it are you high up are you ground level um, but you have to imagine all these other characters because quite often you were literally you know in that big blue box by yourself um and you were you know you were around you know by the time you you see the movie there are five or six other characters that are in the movie um mm -hmm. so um 
yeah, it was, it was, I didn't find it too bad because I was always done a lot of theatre and I used to sort of using my imagination and creating the, the fourth wall, if you like, or creating, um, you know, scene of where you are and things like that if you're on an empty stage. So, uh, but I know that some actors did struggle with that. They found if they were particularly a TV and film actor and only done TV and film, then they found that a little bit more difficult um, because it was, you had, you had nothing, you know, someone would say explosion and you would have to react to an explosion that just wasn't there. There wasn't even the sound, you know, oh, wow. the, guns, the guns didn't fire, you know, the, the triggers didn't even, you, you know, um, I, I don't know if you had a, but we had a, a, a shop in, uh, we had a chain of stores in England called Woolworths. And I used to joke and say, you know, you can get better guns in Woolworths than the ones they were using on sets of Star Wars. <laughs> because at least the triggers fired and it made a sound. It made no sound. The lightsabers made no sound. There was nothing, you know. Um, although one, I think one day they did, um, uh, they did play the Star Wars theme music, uh, which sort of really got us into it, you know, and, and so, suddenly we felt the energy and everything else. But it was, it, it's quite hard to try and, imagine that world around you and where you are and what you're doing yeah um, there's one scene where um uh samuel jackson he is in episode two and he jumps off um you have to excuse my ignorance he jumps off one of these sort of troop transport carriers on Genosa. he jumps off and there are about six other clone troopers that jump off with him and there are a few other clone troopers around um and uh, in that scene i was every single clone trooper every single one that was me so i had hmm. to do it you know several times jumping off and being the other clone troopers on the ground as well and uh then samuel jackson came in and did his one little bit as well um but we were in a big blue box with a bit of a blue platform and that was it you know, you literally, there was nothing else around you to, to play off. Um, and you had to try and imagine what the rest of it would look like. So, yeah. See, that's kind wow. of funny to me because you, you watch the movie and the whole crux of that is that all the clones are clones of this one bounty hunter. But in all reality, they were all clones of you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's probably there's probably dozens of us that played clone troopers. Um, so, uh, you know, in lots of different scenes, I wasn't every clone trooper in every scene for a start. Um, so, yeah, there was there was probably tons of us um, and, um, you know, that were used to, for mapping and and uh, for, you know, doing all of that. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it Again, I think, I mean, there was, um, there were two doubles for Ewan McGregor as well, because there was a double whose also name is Richard, uh, who was in Australia, because they did filming in Australia as well as the UK. Um, I did all the UK stuff, and there was another guy called Richard, um, who did all the Obi-Wan stuff in Australia. So, um, and uh, there are a couple of scenes of Poggle that I didn't do. So, um, not many, but there were... Um, so for instance, when Anakin comes in and kills all the, um, trade federation, uh, that scene with Poglin, I, I, I never actually did. Um, so that was somebody else that played Poggle, um, at that point. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, the, it, it's, it's like, um, 
Darth Vader. There's at least three, well, I think there's now four or five people, six people now have played Darth Vader, but even in the original trilogy, there were three people that played him. There was someone who actually played him as, as um, David Powell's, who played the body of him. Then there was um, someone else who did the voice. And then there, when he took the mask off in Return of the Jedi, there was a third person who played him. Um, mm -hmm. And there was also doubles as well. And I think there was about two doubles for Darth Vader. So in all, there's, I think it's five people in the original trilogy that played Darth Vader. Um, so yeah, um, and th there's even quite a few R2-D2 models. You know, there wasn't just one that they used. There was several that they'd, you know, had used during different filming to do different parts and different things. So mm -hmm. yeah. I'm disappointed that you weren't all the clone troopers. I was thinking we could change the name <laughs> yeah. to, you know, yeah. episode two, uh, you know, Attack of the Strides. Exactly, <laughs> yes. I think that's a better title, actually. I, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's that... got more... So oh, I have a quick question, um, and this is for people who may not, uh, for our listeners who may not know the difference. What is the difference between a just a normal double and a stunt double? Like, what are what are the differences in the in the job description of someone's like, okay, you're the stunt double for Ewan McGregor, or you're just the body double for Ewan McGregor? Is there a difference between the two, and what is the difference? Yeah, there's. A, I mean, there's actually a third, which is a stand-in um so uh so a stunt double is somebody that will do the dangerous kind of stunts and there are like with most of this there's sort of like a little bit of flexibility going from one to the other so a stunt double would do there was a stunt double uh for you who did like some of the particularly hard stunts and various things i did doubling of lightsabering some of the lightsabering not all of it but some of it um and um doubled for him so in certain shots um that is me that isn't ewan mcgregor um and in episode two it it was because um i'm the same height size shape um uh, everything about me and ewan were pretty much very similar i i mean i have a mole on my right cheek he has a mole on his right cheek but it's a bit further up so they used to blank mine out and put a false one further up mm. his nose is ever so slightly a bit different um but facially we're pretty much identical um so much so that when we both had a wig and the same we used to wear the same wig and the same beard um because i was clean shaven then um and um it was interesting because we used the same one uh, i remember samuel jackson one day coming up to me and chatting away and then after about five minutes and me looking blankly at him thinking what on earth is he going on about um suddenly he clicked to him that i wasn't ewan mcgregor <laughs> he was talking to the wrong person <laughs> um but we were a remarkable double um and so unusually there are frontal shots of me normally you just it's what we call over the shoulder so it's just the back you see you don't see the front but there are frontal shots of me in in episode two particularly which is definitely me. Um, I know that because Ewan wasn't there. Um, he was, uh, yeah, he was doing another film at that particular point. And um, so, yeah, it's it's fascinating because um, they used more close-up stuff than they would normally do. Um, and then a stand-in is somebody who sometimes will wear part of the costume, won't wear it all. You will never see them on film 
And what they do is they come in, they stand in so they can line up the shots and everything else. So you can have literally three, four people all playing Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, wow. And stand in will usually, they can cross over and do the lines as well for another actor. So if the focus is on the other actor, but you don't see the stand in at all, they're off screen, then they may do the lines for them. Um, if it's the double, then quite often the double will do the lines and then they just dub Ewan McGregor's voice over the top. So again, in a lot of the scenes where perhaps I had my back, you can't see my mouth. Um, again, that's uh, it would be me speaking the lines, um, but they would have dubbed Ewan later on in the studio over the top. Um, so if the focus is on Natalie Portman or the focus is on um, Hayden Christensen or, or whoever it is, um, and that's that's basically how those three different things work. Um, so you might find sometimes there were days when a stand-in would come and stand in for me as the double, and I would do the doubling and maybe a bit of lightsabering, etc. And then later on in the day, you and McGregor would come in. <laughs> so you would get all three of us, um, or even the stunt double will come in and do. So you might actually in one day have all four of us on set. Mm. So, um, yeah, it was like Attack of the uh, Hugh McGregor's. <laughs> Four of us running around. Yeah. Well, now, now it's going to be interesting to go back and watch episode two and see if we can figure out which is the real Ewan and which one is the uh, is you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and figure out like. Figure now we have hard. a reason to actually go watch episode two. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's hard to try and work it out. And of course, the other thing is when we did it we did it in a big blue box or a big green box so we had no reference around us so it was only ever the li the lines or the movement like oh yeah i remember that bit oh, I, I did that that day you know and things like that well, oh yeah that's my hand oh yeah that's that's my side that's you know <laughs> i mean there's little tiny things that occasionally i can spot because i know that Ewan stands ever so slightly differently to the way I stand and things like that. So there's bits that I go, yeah, that's definitely me. Because A, I remember doing that bit of action, um, but also that, you know, that I can tell. And I'm not sure anyone else can, but I can definitely see, oh, yeah, that's that's me as opposed to Ewan McGregor hmm. at that point. When you, so when you saw the movie and you saw the parts where like let's take the the clone troopers jumping out of the ship for example you were in a box you know the blue screen and the green screen when you went and saw it in the theater did you say oh that's why they had me doing that yeah in fact on the day that i was doing that jumping off the box each time and and george lucas sort of would kept saying okay a bit more over to your left etc i actually generally thought i was rubbish at what he was asking me to do and he kept you know i couldn't get it right i didn't realize i was playing six different people i just thought i was really bad at that particular shot and thinking why can't i get it right no he was just moving me around to play six different people um and when i saw it i went that's what it was oh god and i thought he hated me after that day because <laughs> i took so long to get it right no i was getting it right every single time it was just <laughs> he was just having to get made me to play six different people well that leads to my my next question is what was it like working with George Lucas? He's his mind is fantastic. He's such a brilliant creative. Um, 
he's not what we call an actor's director. So what that means is he's um, he won't spend lots of time talking about character development, but he's very much into the story, into uh, telling the story and making it really clear and letting the actor do uh, a lot of the work themselves on character building and all those kind of things. So, um, so he's he's not necessarily the same as other directors, but he has a phenomenal um, mind to create and almost. I always I always felt with Star Wars is it although it's set in a galaxy far far away in another um, universe etc. And a long time ago, its essence is based on us today. Its its essence is based on the human race and what we do and there are elements and you see things on those spaceships and you think they look slightly familiar and we feel somehow at home that it's real. Um, yeah, and a lot of the spaceships were made out of old junk. You know, there would be something on the side of the spaceship and that was the that was a, a car hub cap, you know, they'd spray painted white. Um, uh, the Death Star plans was actually a air freshener from Halfords. Um, I think Darth Vader's uh, lightsaber was uh, an end of a hoover. Um, you know, he would take stuff and that we would see every day and he would create this fantasy world, but it had a link into what, you know, our world was all about and our journeys and human reactions and everything else. And, you know, the whole idea of stormtroopers, of course, came from the Second World War. You look at the helmets, they're very similar to, um, you know, the, the Nazi um, uniforms um, and um, he really I think tapped into our psyche with those stories and and just created a fantasy but they are very much linked to us and I think that's what's made it very special and very unusual I think. Mm -hmm. Was there any actor on that set that you were most excited to be able to work with that when you found out I'm going to be working with this person you're like oh, oh, I'm, you just got like really maybe goosebumps. You're like, I can't believe I'm going to be able to work with this person. Or was it just another day in the office for you? It was never really another day in the office. Uh, it was um, it was a very strange office, if that was the case. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it is a strange place when you're working on a film. Um, do, I mean, did I ever get starstruck? No. Did I ever get excited? Yes, very much so. So um, it's like a big family and you get to meet people and you think, oh, yeah, I've seen you on movies all my life and what have you. But suddenly they become human beings and they are, you know, talking about their journey in or, yeah, the, you know, the, the TV broke down last night and they couldn't watch the latest of... Um, of coronation street or whatever and, and you know you suddenly realized yeah they're just like me and you they're exactly the same there's nothing different about them um you just happen to have seen them um a lot um right. so i did get very excited one day i was talking to this guy we were watching uh, you know a scene being shot and i was talking to this guy who i assumed was a member of the crew etc i'd never seen him before and he was stood to my right <laughs> And um, we're talking for a while and I said, oh, what do you do on this? 
and um, he said, oh, um, I, I, I play um, C-3PO. And I went, oh. oh my God, no. And he went, yes. And I said, you don't do the voice as well, do you? And he just turned around and went, I am C-3PO, human cyborg relations at your service. <laughs> like this. Oh my God. And to hear that, I know it sounds weird, but to hear the voice and it's coming from the lips of somebody who is a foot away from you. And, and then he said, oh, would you like to meet him? And I went, God, yeah. So um, we went around the corner and there was all the bits of C-3PO laid on the table. And he was telling me how, you know, it was so painful in the original Star Wars film and, and that he had to adapt it. And he was telling me how, you know, he, he um, made, he, he sort of remade C-3PO so that it was, he was a properly able to walk in it and move in it and have more motion and everything else. And how he developed the character like a, almost like a British butler. Um, and, uh, you know, and he was just fascinating. That was Andy Daniels, of course. Um, and uh, yeah, I mistook him for a crew member. <laughs> Never seen his face. Um, Christopher Lee was uh, fantastic to meet because he's such a legend. Um, and Samuel Jackson, again, um, completely not what I expected. Um, but a very funny guy, loves yeah. books. He's always reading. Um, mm. And um, yeah, so it was it was just lovely to, with everybody, whether it's just the crew members, the, you know, the unit nurse, whoever it was, you know, there was such a lovely bunch of people, all of them, and very passionate about what they were doing and wanting it to be the best that they could possibly make it and to tell that story. And everyone was very much, it felt like everyone was working as a team towards one goal. So, yeah. How does the fandom treated you? Uh, I know, especially with the last movies, there's been some controversy about how with certain with certain roles uh, that people have been, have played in um, the sequel trilogies that they have had issues with the fan, with, with certain members of the fandom for whatever interaction you've had with the star wars fandom how has this how has the star wars fandom treated you um yeah really good i mean i, I think there was only once i was at a comic con once and somebody said to me um uh, oh which star wars fa uh, films were you in and i said oh i was in episode two and three um and he's <laughs> he just turned around and went oh the s-h-i-t ones <laughs> I was like, okay i said yeah yeah i said you know yeah i said uh i said you know i don't write the story mate <laughs> that's what i came up with but well i'm not sure what you want me to say about that um but you know most people have been absolutely brilliant and um i think it's interesting that the prequels uh are now getting a much better um what's the word i'd want to use the, a much better um review almost than they did when they first came out. And I think that is actually to do with that we now have a complete story. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And um, you know, whether you, I know that again, there's controversy about the latest three and some people, you know, feel that it, they didn't quite work or elements of them did work, etc. cetera. Um, but I think that, um, you know, now you've got a complete story, it's sort of, makes more sense of the beginning and when you watch the beginning and you go oh that ties into this and it makes it much more of a journey and you can see that whole yeah. picture so i think people have looked back on those first 
uh, episodes one, two, and three with somewhat new eyes. Yeah. Well, you have everybody, every actor I've ever spoken with has to have a favorite moment or funny story while on set. What hmm. would yours be? Uh, mine would be definitely with Christopher Lee. Uh, so we were doing us, I was playing Poggle at the time and we were doing this, the scene uh, on Geonosa where there's a very large table. Uh, there's some of the trade federation around it and there's a, a massive hologram of the Death Star. And the scene was, I went up to the hologram. I took uh, the, um, this um, data thing don't quite know what to call it we never got a name for it really but basically it, it, it we i took that out had to walk all the way around this table um and hand it to christopher lee and and the line was in english obviously it had a completely alien language but the line in english was um the jedi must not find out about our plans for the ultimate weapon otherwise we're doomed and i'd hand it over so to give the context of that it it was uh, we had to do a lot of rehearsal because the Again, we're in a big blue box. There was no table in the center. There was no Death Star or um, even computer terminal or anything else. All there was was a, a little stand with this little disc thing on and I had to take it off that. I had to walk around, but I had to also make sure I didn't step on any of these cables because these cables had wires going through them. And the wires connected to the heads of the Trade Federation that moved certain aspects of their face. Um, and then there were operators on the other side uh, of the table. So I was walking in between the operators and the Trade Federation. If I stood on any of these cables, I was likely to send the Trade Federation into some sort of a spasm that, you know, made their face <laughs> talk and what have you. Um, so I had to, it's a bit like trying to walk along a, um, a railway track and uh, uh, avoiding all these obstacles, but at the same time, not looking like you're going up and down and bobbing like a duck. So, and then delivering a line and delivering it to Christopher Lee. So that there was a lot to think about basically. Um, so we had quite a few rehearsals and in the months of the rehearsals, I happened to look down at the, um, the disc thing, as I would call it, which had the Death Star plans in. And I remember saying, to Christopher Lee, I said, you know, it's fascinating, isn't it? I said, the detail that goes into creating, you know, these objects. I said, someone's designed it. They've they've created a mold. They've, you know, created a plastic um, thing inside. They put a light inside and, you know, and they've spray painted this and they've done that. And the prop guy started laughing. And I sort of turned to him and go, what's so funny? And he said, well, he said, the funny thing is yesterday, he said, uh, we got we've just finished filming and he said, and we realized we were filming this scene and we forgot all about the Death Star plans. So we were like, damn, what are we gonna do? So we popped into a place called Halfords, which is like a car accessory place. You get all sorts of bizarre stuff. And um, it's actually a car air freshener and it's a pound from Halfords. And we just took the air freshener bit out, put a couple of red lights in and Bob's your uncle, that's the Death Star plans. So, I was laughing. We were laughing about that and going, I can't believe that it's just a car air freshener. That's all it is, you know. So I came round in one of the rehearsals and instead of saying the line, the Jedi must not find out about our plans for the ultimate weapon, otherwise we're doomed. I handed over the Death Star plans to Christopher Lee. And instead of that line, I just turned around and go, there you go, sire. Something to freshen the whole galaxy with. Off you go. <laughs> he wet himself. I mean, he did not stop laughing. And the whole day, 
every time I came round to him and started to hand in these Death Star plans, he got a fit of giggles. Um, and I don't think we were very popular that day because we kept ruining the shop, but it was the funniest thing I think I've ever done. And, uh, it's, and it was just brilliant to crack Christopher Lee up. So that was my, my little... Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely bowing to you to have cracked up Christopher Lee. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's amazing. <laughs> he's because, quiet, but he was a very serious guy, you know. He, yeah, well, that's how he's always portrayed himself. And, and so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's quite cracked him up. I'm impressed. Apparently, but. Brilliant. Yeah, I made him laugh anyway, so that was all right. Did you get so, to uh, uh, keep any of those little mementos and trinkets like that from the set? Well, the. Um, <laughs> In, in one of the scenes we we're doing, I did actually have my own pair of trousers on because they were just filming from the top. And you, you're holding these Death Star plans all day. And I, I put them in my pocket in between scenes and we run out of time and they say, okay, cut, that's it, fine, thanks very much. When I've got cha um, changed and went home and I remember arriving at home going, what is this digging into my pocket? And I pulled out the Death Star plans. And I was like, <laughs> oh God. I could really ruin Star Wars, you know, <laughs> completely. Because I have the Death Star plan. They can't build this damn thing unless I give these back, you know. But your place um, would smell good. Your place smell good, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, no, I did take them back the next day. But I, I did, oh. for a night, have the Death Star plans. So it's my claim to fame. Right on. Just for a night, though. I could have controlled the world. Right. <laughs> If they do another new set of uh, trilogy, would you be in it? Oh, God, yeah, like a shot. That's of course, if they're happening. Sure. <laughs> they may have found out I, I took the Death Star hat plans yeah. home for a night, so yeah. maybe they don't want me back ever again. Well, um, that, that's why they sent us to do this interview. It's, yes! <laughs> really spies for, for um, yeah, for Disney, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> they're that's everywhere. Right. <laughs> One day we will all bow before the mouse overlord. So. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Aren't we already? I don't know. Hmm. <laughs> Do you have any other like projects that you're working on right now that people should know about? Um, so I did last year uh, before lockdown, I did a, uh, a great film, which is coming out. Uh, I mean, it's always difficult to tell at the moment because everything's sort of on hold until things open up, but it's, it's due to be released uh, this year. Um, which is called Falkland Square. Um, and that's uh, it's based on a story about um, a, a British man who fought in the Falkland War against Argentina. Um, came back and ended up with, um, you know, all sorts of issues, etc., from his experiences in the Falklands and um, became homeless and uh, uh, went through all sorts of terrible things and what have you and um i play a nasty bailiff um in it to uh turfs him out of his caravan and um yeah gives him his marching orders but it's a really good um independent film which i really enjoyed doing that was really good um so hopefully that'll come out this year maybe next year uh depending on covid19 and then um i've also got two films in september um which uh, hopefully will go ahead Again, we're not too sure because, again, uh, it depends on whether things can be done with social distancing and the rules that are in the UK at the moment. Um, Theatre-wise, there's there's uh, theatre is in a very precarious situation at the moment. Uh, so the government is hopefully going to allow the theatres to reopen. The only issue is, is they 
they're not allowing them to be full. They have to have social distancing, um, which is great if you're doing Romeo and Juliet, you know, trying doing it two meters apart, um, just doesn't quite work. Um, <laughs> but also the entire audience has to social distancing. So that means that audiences the capacities have dropped you know to only 30 percent and no theater can open with a 30 percent capacity so um it's a, a very very serious um situation in the uk and and the arts particularly and um we've already had a couple of big theaters close and uh, if this carries on which unfortunately does seem to be to probably carry on for at least another year um you know when we get to sort of january time we could be seeing uh, an awful lot of theatres closed in the UK, which would be really sad. Wow. Wow. So it's not looking good for theatre. For TV and film, it's looking quite good. So a lot of the projects that were going to take place have been just sort of held back. And of course, there's new projects coming in. So um, it's almost like there'll be a floodgate opening up um, once it all starts to open up again. Um, but again, I don't think, you know, realistically, we're looking at least a year, you know, um, before things get back to the way I don't think they'll ever get back to the way they were but they'll get back to a way where we don't have to social distance and um, mm. I think that's the reality is that we've got at least another 12 months if not 18 months of this um, before things you know start to pan out the way they you know we hoped until they find a vaccine really mm -hmm. is is still a long way off yeah so, yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. Do you have any social medias that the listeners can follow along with what you're doing? Yeah, I'm on Facebook under Richard Stride. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, there's on that. I've also got um, uh, Twitter and Instagram as well. Um, and then I've also got a, a website, which is www.richardstride.co.uk. So you can follow stuff on there and find out what I'm doing and everything else which is good. So, yeah. All right. Well, it has been wonderful talking with you, sir. Uh, very interesting, very informative, a uh, lot of fun. Um, for us, we got a big, huge announcement to make. I'll just make it right now, right here. Uh, we are going to be a part of Force Fest, which is a online virtual Star Wars convention that is being put on. Uh, we have been uh, given a, ta uh, a table, a panel to do there. Um, still working on a little bit to find out when and where, so we'll definitely let you know, but this is huge for us. Um, since there's not going to be a Star Wars celebration this year, they are doing this instead, and we've had the opportunity to um, be a part of this, so this is really huge. Uh, like I said, we'll be giving you uh, you guys, all the information as soon as it comes out, but this will be at the end of August. So look forward to that. Uh, Ray, uh, we'll do this like we normally do this. Ray, where can people find you at? All right. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the Leo effects. And I am also on shattered dungeons, which is on YouTube and wherever you can go to get podcasts. And uh, Joe and I are working on another little project, but I'm not going to drop too many details about that yet. Mm. All right. And Joe, where can people find you? You can find me on social media under Joe Cahill, director, producer, or Steamhouse Entertainment. Uh, and always here at War of the Stars. 
That's right. As for us, as always, you can email us at warofthestars1 at gmail.com. Uh, Twitter, War of the Stars 1. Facebook group, War of the Stars. Uh, if you want to support us, a couple ways you can do that. First, of course, easiest way is to patreon.com. Just go to patreon.com forward slash War of the Stars, or you can go to anchor.fm and click the support tab and support us there. And always, you can hear us on pretty much anywhere podcasts are heard. Uh, Spotify, of course, anchor.fm. We're now on Pandora Radio, uh, Google Cast, you name it, we're pretty much there. Um, so definitely check us out. Tell your friends, tell your brother, tell your uncle, tell your enemy, I don't care. Just tell everyone about the show. Um, but yeah, uh, as always, remember, this isn't just my Star Wars. This isn't just your Star Wars. This is our Star Wars. May the force be with you. <laughs>